Hey, I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for downloading. This episode is supported by my course, How to Get Started Being Freelancer. If you're thinking about going freelance, or maybe you've been doing it for about a year, but you're pretty sure there must be a better way of doing it, then please do take a look. All the details are at beingfreelance.com. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for brand designer Nella Donato. What is a hobby and what is work? When sometimes my hobbies become my work, that's a challenge where everything creative is kind of both very fulfilling but can also be a source of income. Understand that I don't have to win every gig. So sometimes it's better to lose a gig than to get it on terms that you will regret later. You know, there are some lessons that no one can, even if people warn you about it, you just have to learn them through your own experience because otherwise they just don't stick. Yeah, so it was Nigeria last week. This week it is Croatia. That is Nella and her story coming up very soon indeed. As with all of our guests, you can find out all about them, links through to them, ways to follow them, show notes, transcripts, all at beingfreelance.com where we also have articles to help you with freelancing, uh, videos, the course, of course, as I mentioned earlier, and the community. Link through to come join us. We had an awesome book club recently, some more things like that, live Q&As. But more importantly, just day by day, a place to go and have a laugh, but also to support others and to get support when you need it. So do check out the community. Thousands of freelancers from around the world are hanging out right now. You don't need to be alone being freelance. So come find us. There's a link at beingfreelance.com. So yeah, we started this season, season 14 in the UK. We've been to Japan. Uh, via London and Hong Kong, admittedly, uh, the US. Uh, last week we were in Nigeria. This week we're off to Croatia to chat to brand designer Nella Donato. Hey, Nella. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. As ever, let's get started hearing how you got started being freelance. Yeah, well, I actually started freelancing twice, uh, first in 2005 and then in 2013. So, do you want to hear both stories or one of them? <laughs> well, yeah, because I, I want to know how it went from the 2005 one. How, what, what was that back then then? So in 2005, I was I started teaching myself how to use Photoshop and Dreamweaver and CorelDRAW and other design software when I was still in high school. So that was in the early 2000s where the web was just starting to become a thing um, on its own. And by the time I was 18, I've already made a couple of websites for myself because I, I kept inventing things to make websites for just so I had a reason to make them. And I made some graphics for my friends, for their nonprofits and so on. And when I started studying in university, I immediately became the new webmaster of a student organization that I joined, like the first week of university, I joined this organization and they're like, oh, you can make websites. Great. You're now the new webmaster because our <laughs> old one is tired of that. So great to find some new blood for to, to do free work for. So that was, that was an unpaid gig. But in that organization was a senior student who had his own side business. And he actually offered me to design a website for his business. And that was my first paid gig. And then quickly after, 
I got in contact with some web development agencies that started getting like increased uh, demand for web design. And they found me through my website usually and started outsourcing their design work to me. So that's how I started doing that more regularly. And I didn't have any contact with the clients that was purely like through the agency. They would just send me a brief and I would do it and said, send the results and they would get back with the feedback and so on. And that went on for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed freelancing because I still was uh, like under this illusion that I, w- I was going to graduate. So I don't, so I don't <laughs> want to do any full-time work. Uh, but then kind of, I realized that this is really what I want to be doing long-term and got my first full-time job. And then after a couple of years in that full-time job where I learned a lot. So the good thing about this job was that I was for a while, the only designer in the, on the team, mm-hmm. in the marketing team. And I got to learn on the job a lot. So I not, not only designed websites, which was what I was hired to do, but I got to design, you know, brochures and presentations and logos and all sorts of stuff. So that kind of expanded my skill set. And I also at one point was asked by my boss to rebrand the whole company, which was quite a huge project. (laughs) Yeah. And that was, uh, I'll be honest, my boss was a cheapskate. He didn't (laughs) want to get an outside agency to do something like that. So it it seemed more (laughs) frugal to hire, to just keep paying me my, my salary to do that. And I, just got a load of books. I read a ton of articles. I examined like hundreds of brand style guides that I was able to find online and just learned through the project. And actually the project was quite successful. The boss was happy. Um, I I still think that it holds up even after (laughs) all these years. So, uh, but that's when I realized that this is really what I love the most of all, that I'm not so keen on making websites. I really do prefer drawing logos and making this whole like a big vision of what a brand is supposed to look like and then applying it through all the different media. And then I switched jobs. I worked for another company for for a few years. And then in that second job in 2013, uh, the so the company was kind of restructuring and I got a heads up that I will be laid off in a couple of months. And then I started looking for freelance projects again. And since then, I've started my own business and I've been doing that for seven years now coming on eight amazing so so how long did you like second time around when you got wind of the fact that you might be losing your job how long were you freelancing on the side while still working there uh it was like maybe three or four months though i did have some sporadic projects before that uh, because, uh, well, there were some financial issues with the company. So, you know, the pay was late and I knew that I need to have some kind of a, uh, something to fall back on. Uh, so I was kind of looking for gigs on the side even before that, but I wasn't work, uh, looking for it as intensely because it would be really difficult to keep a full-time job and then freelance on the side uh, on top of that. And so how were you finding those freelance jobs at that point? 
at that point, it was mostly through personal connections. So I would, uh, at that, the, in that situation, when I was really like, okay, I need to find some gigs now, kind of, you know, with, a, with an air of desperation, then I just put on my Facebook, like just a post, hey, you know, if anyone needs any design work done, um, I'm available. So get in touch. And I got a couple of uh, projects that way from people just that I knew socially mm-hmm. or that were like acquaintances. And then uh, I also, for a bit, I did use, I think it was called Elance back then. So similar to what Upwork is. Actually, it's like the whole, the same company. They just uh, rebranded. That was how I got a couple of gigs. And then I also, in that period for the first couple of years, uh, got in touch with agencies and did more outsourcing so i had a colleague from the job before he had an agency and he got got outsourced some design projects and i also got in touch with someone who had an agency in the netherlands and i did some projects for them so basically it was a combination of getting uh, were inquiries from people that i knew and then getting some projects extra through these other types of uh, connections mostly you know outsourcing and and kind of the the freelance uh, platforms until my own marketing started working to the point where I didn't I no longer had to do that and what would you say that your own marketing was that started to work I have a website actually I have two websites one in English one in Croatian that where I post blogs blog articles and have I actually kind of <laughs> created over the years a pretty robust uh, way of uh, displaying my you know my portfolio my services it's really pretty detailed and so that that kind of started working after google started uh, favoring my website so i know that there are people that just google something along the lines of you know, logo design freelancer or something like that. I don't even know what they type uh, <laughs> exactly, but I know that it's somehow they come to my website. And if they like what they see, if they like how I present my services and myself and, you know, how I write, what I what I talk about, they get in touch. And, you know, if, if we're a good fit, then we can work together. So that is one of my biggest sources of clients even now. But probably the biggest source which has been working for me for many years is just plain networking but not necessarily in a way that is described nowadays uh, uh, like meetups or conferences and so on although that is a part of it but I just meet people in various social contexts and keep in touch in a friendly way and usually when they start a business and they want someone to do their logo and branding and website, I'm the first per- person they think of uh, because we're, we have this kind of loose social connection through social media or through these events that we go to regularly and so on. So there's, there's a mix of all that. And of course, I also get referrals from past clients and from colleagues. And I think referrals are really, they're great kind of to to put goodwill into the community because I also refer my colleagues for projects that I can't take on or that are more tailored to someone else's skill set and so we kind of help each other this way by 
by recommending each other to our clients or acquaintances or mm. colleagues. And when you went freelance that second time and you'd realized that it was logo, it, that it was brand identity and stuff that you wanted to be doing, is that the only stuff that you took on, given that you were, you know, p- putting yourself out there, trying trying to get work, that you needed the work? Did you manage to just do that or did you do anything? No, I did. I did a bunch of th- stuff. So I was a generalist designer mm-hmm. because, as I mentioned, in those jobs that I had, I was kind of forced to do all kinds of design projects. And I kept doing that for a good couple of years. So I think it was only around maybe 2016 that I really decided to focus. And it's it's not that I focus in that I exclusively do logo design even now, but I kind of restructured my services. So the way that I explain my services to others and that I work and that I enjoy working is that when I start working with a client now, the first project we do is logo design and brand identity design and, you know, with some brand strategy depending on their needs. So that is the first project I take on and I will never take on a different kind of project as a first project from a client. But then when we complete that, we can go either way. So if they need a website, I can create website design and I make WordPress websites. If they need print materials, I have lots of experience in that. So I can do that too. So it's basically a kind of a long-term engagement, but without any contracts, uh, without It's not something that is set in stone, but basically if they need something else, they can come back to me and I'll gladly do it. But I will, I'm not spreading myself like, oh, you can hire me for this and that and that, uh, because that used to be a big problem. I was doing these one-off projects, like someone wants one business card or one PowerPoint presentation. And it's a bunch of these small projects and you have to do many of them to (laughs) gather a substantial sum of money. And just handling that is an organizational project management nightmare. (laughs) So that was kind of what pushed me. Like I realized that I was spending a lot of this time that wasn't very productive because I was spread so thin among these smaller projects. And then when I realized, hey, I can create this system that makes sense for me and my clients, and this is how we're going to do it. So it's like a sequence. And I call it the branding journey because I had to make up some clever title for that. (laughs) So that is how I do. So I still essentially do the same scope of services, but it's packaged in a way that it makes sense for me and my clients. I mean, the clients that I really want to work with, uh, like the ones that appreciate that kind of approach. And that the that way I get to do logo design on every single project that I take on. But then maybe they want a website, maybe they don't. Maybe they need printed materials, maybe they don't. But essentially I get to do the work that is most fun for me. But it's also lucrative in the long term because... I get repeat clients that way. It's kind of built into the system to do these several projects like within a six month period or and then maybe even long term if they need a refresh for their website or new brochures or or something. So it turned out to be a really good business decision Hmm. for me. And are most of your clients local or are they all over the place? 
They're a mix. So it really depends on, on the year. And I don't know <laughs> how to explain that, but uh, there were years when I worked more with clients abroad and there were years when most of my clients are local, uh, but it's it's a mix. I would say uh, basically 50-50, but it, it really fluctuates. And I'm intrigued about because you mentioned that you have uh, an English website, Croatian we- website, and I've seen this come up in the Being Freelance community before where people who you know, are, are based in one country, they have that language, but they're very fluent in English as well. And they wonder how they should put themselves across. Is is it like an identical website? Like, how did you go about um, figuring out what to do in that respect? Yeah, pretty, they look pretty much identical. So if you switch, there's a link up uh, at the top mm. where you can switch the language. And when you go to from one site to another, it's, it's a pretty seamless transition. I basically reused my all my image files and CSS files. I just have had to kind of switch the code from one uh, CMS to another. So one website is in WordPress and the other website isn't something else. So, but essentially they do look the same and they have followed kind of the same structure. And the only big difference is that I publish a lot more articles on English and I only translate some of the articles in Croatian as I have time because that helps with the SEO, but it would be too time consuming to translate all the articles and Frankly, I didn't find it necessary, but uh, I do occasionally kind of publish something. So the creation website doesn't get updated as often, uh, but the services page is identical. The homepage is also pretty much identical. Mm. Yeah. Ah, cool. So it's not like a plugin. It's actually two different sites. It's actually two different sites mm. because when I, I made the English one first, I only made the, the other one, I don't know, three or four years later. So I didn't plan for that. I didn't know. So uh, by the time I realized I really do need one in Croatian language, it was just easier to start from scratch. But I reused some of the assets. Yeah. How did you know you needed one in Croatian? You must have been, you've you've clearly been doing all right. Yeah, but I mean, you you can always do better. (laughs) So so this is really a question of search engine optimization because People who know me, they can find their way around my website, which is in English. Like most Croatian professionals understand English to enough so they can navigate a website and find what they need. But I uh, thought that, you know, early in my career, a lot of my leads for potential clients came the way that people just, they would type something into Google and they would end up on my website. And I was losing that if I didn't have a website in the Croatian language. Mm. And I think this is really important for for freelancers who are in non-English speaking countries to capitalize on that because the competition on these other languages is a lot smaller. Like getting your page on the first uh, Google result page for something so competitive as logo design or brand identity design, like that is nearly impossible for most of us with very limited budgets. But for some languages, I'm actually on the first page of Google for uh, the equivalent of brand identity design and for the equivalent of brand style style guide. So that is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, yeah. So when someone looks up just this uh, these terms, they might end up on my website, and otherwise, they might not even know that I exist because uh, 
I mean, a lot of people, they just, when they don't know what they, what they're looking for, when they don't know where to find it, they just search for it. And so I think this is a tremendous way to get leads that otherwise, and they're motivated. Like there are people who are actively looking for this type of work. Mm. So to be in the page that they land on, that is really invaluable. Now, I noticed that you've written some books as well, one of which is The Human-Centered Brand, right? Yes. How did that come about? I'm presuming you've figured that that's an important thing to you and your business. Yes. Well, the thing is that around when I was kind of figuring out what my unique perspective on my work is, and that was in about 2015, since I started freelancing, I was taking on a lot of classes and workshops and uh, relating to business and marketing. And I was trying to just grasp what is my unique positioning? Like what is unique about the work that I do and the unique perspective that I bring so that I can kind of differentiate myself from all the other designers out there who are doing, who are offering similar services. And one thing that came up for me is this approach to branding that is informed by our own personality and our core values and all these kind of soft things that were not at that time. It wasn't very popular. Like I read lots of books and articles on the topic of branding and it was all very corporate-y. It was just very aimed at, you know, big either startups or corporations you know, people who were really focused on the bottom line and all of that and how to scale. It's, it's a completely different mindset, really, from the one that I've had and the, what my clients were doing, because I was mostly working with service-based businesses. So that was my focus. So service-based businesses and nonprofits, they kind of operate in a different way than the corporations and startups. And I was learning a lot by working with my clients. And so I figured out, hey, this is really something that I can explore in more detail. And I had like I had an image in my mind of how one thing leads to the other. So how core values lead to your unique value proposition and how that leads to how you present yourself and who your clients are and so on. And so I first wanted to make it into a course but as I overthink things, <laughs> I was doing that too. So it was like just sitting on a back burner for I don't know how many months until I realized, hey, maybe, you know, if I start with something that I'm comfortable with and I'm comfortable with writing far more than I am with video. And then I said, okay, yeah, I can do this. I can write a book. I mean, why not? I already know what I want to say. I just need to sit down and write it. And so in I think at the beginning of two. 2017, I started writing this book, but I was doing it very sporadically because I had to juggle work for clients and teaching and writing this book. So it was, it took me a long time. It was only in the spring of 2018 that I had my first draft finished. And then I took four months off to edit and design and uh, launch the book and then get a month off to recover from this because it was it was very exhausting. But yeah, that was essentially I knew that I needed something to explain how I think about branding and something that I can give my clients to help them grasp this. And I there just simply were no resources that explained this in that way. I I just couldn't find anything that I could 
give my friends and my colleagues and my clients who were small businesses and, and mostly service-based businesses because I just didn't find any literature that was focusing on that uh, type of business. So I decided to do that. And so has writing that book, do you think, helped your business? I think it has. Uh, mostly it put me kind of on the map as a person who is like a thinker, someone who who has a, a modality or, or a methodology of their own. And I think people are kind of impressed by that. But also I started getting more, more invitations to speak and to teach workshops. And sometimes through these workshops, I meet clients. So it's not like um, a huge number of clients, but I've had a couple of you know, I, I would have a workshop and then a couple of months later, a client would get in touch and they say, hey, I, I would like to work with you because I really like your approach. So it's it's a bit of an ecosystem of speaking and teaching and writing and designing. And I think that works well for me because I'm the kind of person who enjoys all of that. So and I like to have my fingers in many pies because it just offers me this excitement and, and the this dynamic that I would not have if I'm only working for clients uh, for the whole year. I kind of get itchy and I want to do something else. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. How about how you work? Like, do you work from home or are you in an office or? Yes, I have a little home office. Uh, I call it my studio because it doubles as my uh, painting studio uh, and it's all it's kind of cramped but I like it it has good acoustics <laughs> so so recording video and podcast is fine uh so yeah yeah I really enjoy working from home um that's one of my favorite things of being a freelancer is really to be flexible about you know I, I it's not I don't like this idea of working on the beach I I would never do that because I think the beach is for, you know, hanging out and drinking cocktails and, and not for work. But I do love the flexibility of like being where I feel comfortable. Yeah. And to be clear, like you actually live not too far from a beach. That's Oh, it's yeah. Not like... <laughs> <laughs> and so does that help with like work-life balance? How do you feel about that side of things? Well, the thing with work-life balance is it's quite difficult to uh, make a distinction what is work and what is life when you have a lot of creative hobbies that kind of bleed into each other. So I, as I mentioned, you know, I write, I paint, I draw, I design, I record videos and all of that. And then sometimes it's, um, you know, what is a hobby and what is work when sometimes my hobbies become my work. And then, so that's a kind of a, a challenge when I'm, when I'm in this, um, mind where where everything creative is kind of both very fulfilling but can also be a source of income so that for me is what the way i find balance is to uh, have like several things one of them which is a source of income and one of them which is just a source of fulfillment and joy so I can relax through that creative process. And then also, I also need to leave some time to just hang out and go on the beach or or go to some social events and so on. So my rule is really that I don't work on the weekends. It has been that way since I started freelancing because I just think that's healthy to have a bit of a break. I'm very mindful about taking long vacations two times a year usually, usually one in the summer and one in the winter because I do really need to 
kind of decompress from even thinking about work to kind of get that fresh perspective when I get back. But when it comes to day to day, it's a really, it's a blend. It's, um, you know, I do work for the clients when I have a when I have something to do. And then the rest of the time, I'm kind of fitting in writing and uh, working on these side projects and uh, all, all other things that I can kind of fit into my day, but also have some kind of a, I don't work for um, until too late in the evening. And of course, having a partner that has a regular job with regular working hours helps because then he kind of pulls me back into the real world. If I'm getting too stuck in my office, he's like, hey, I haven't seen you all day. <laughs> Come hang out. And then that reminds me you know, to just go in and live a little. Yeah. How have you found the, I guess, like the business side of things like dealing with finances or contracts or you know all of that kind of stuff beyond the the creativity mm -hmm. yeah well it was a challenge of course as with most creatives we are kind of first downfounded by this whole new area that we have to figure out and get skilled at uh, but I kind of got the hang of it because I invested so much time in learning I really I went to workshops for a new businesses there were there's a really great uh it's kind of like a startup incubator but it's not called that way where they have free workshops so they're subsidized basically they get funding and then they're able to offer free workshops for business owners and i also later taught some workshops there but in the beginning i was like a guest there every month i would go to some workshop workshop on finance and pricing workshop on business models and so that really helped me uh, understand this and and apply it to my own business. So I'm very, very grateful that I was able to have that for free uh, and at a time when I wasn't really able to afford any special paid classes. Uh, but now I'm, I've gotten a grasp of, of most of the things that I'm, I had a challenge with. I'm still kind of uh, challenged by appropriate boundaries. So, you know, when you make a scope and then the scope starts uh, expanding and then you have to kind of put a foot down and say, hey, 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 no, no, we would need to charge this separately and so on. So it's really difficult to kind of go to your clients and say, no, no, we can't do that. We would need to kind of work out a, a new proposal and so on. So that is always you know, when I want people to like you, then you're, you are always careful when you need to say no. So that's something that I'm still in the process of learning, but mm. I've gotten better. But when it comes to finances, it was, you know, I think most problems uh, that people have with their finances is that they charge too little, which was definitely true for me. And I probably still charge too little based on my experience and, and skill set. But I think that most people's financial issues and worries would be solved if they raised their prices. And my financial issues and worries were solved once I raised my fees to a sustainable level. Because only you know what is sustainable for you. And that's something that you need to experience through real world <laughs> projects. Nobody can tell you in advance. And of course, it's very individual because each of us works in a different way. Like I work in a very slow and meticulous way. So my projects take a lot of time and I can't do many projects at once. So I need to manage my cash flow through uh, like 50% upfront for 50% when we're done. And I need to account for all the hours that we're going to work 
which is sometimes a challenge if the project is kind of new and I'm not sure how long it will take. So sometimes I undercut myself, but, you know, it's a lesson. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but when it comes to kind of paperwork and taxes and so on, I'm I'm actually really good with spreadsheets. I'm not afraid of numbers. So that has been helpful in keeping my finances organized. That was not such a big learning curve for me, but this more of the, you know, scoping side and just being a good negotiator, that was something that was a big learning curve for me. What do you think has helped you in terms of negotiating? Well, one of the things is to understand that I don't have to win every gig. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's better to lose a gig than to get it on terms that you will regret later. So get it at a too low a fee or get a client who is kind of very difficult. So sometimes it's better to just recognize that this is not the job for you and move on to something else, which is, of course, hard if you don't have as many inquiries. But over time, I learned that really, no, I always regret when I take a job that I have a bad feeling about. And I just put it in my head. So that's kind of a shift, a mindset shift that I don't want to be the cheapest freelancer. I don't want to be the cheapest designer. Actually, to me, it's a big compliment for people hire me, even though they have cheaper alternatives that speaks of the quality of my work. And so I'm not ashamed of how much I charge. And I learned how to be very confident in that through you know, many conversations that I've had because, you know, I've had conversations where someone asked me, how much do you charge? And I say, and they're like, what? And you have to keep a straight face <laughs> in that situation and say, yeah, yeah. And it, actually people pay me that. <laughs> yeah. So that is um, something that you learn through experience. Of course, you can't, um, you know, there are some lessons that no one can, even if people warn you about it, you just have to learn them through your own experience because otherwise they just don't stick right so true now Nella I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true one a lie and let me figure out the lie what do you have for me okay uh so <laughs> my f first fact my most lucrative project was designing a fetish website second fact I appeared on national TV wearing a comic book character costume. <laughs> and fact number three, I never owned an Apple product. <gasps> right. Okay. Which comic book character did you appear on TV dressed as? It's from the comic book Sandman by Neil Gaiman, and it was the character Death. Oh, my gosh. How did you end up on TV as it? So it was a promo for an event, uh, a sci-fi convention, and it was like a morning program that only old ladies and children watch, so not really the target audience, but, you know, it's basically, yeah, it was like an interview that lasted for two minutes, and yeah. Brilliant. I just was... got the vision of all these old ladies seeing death come on TV. Okay. Um what was the website? Sorry, I missed the... What sort of website did you design? It was a foot fetish, fet, fetish website. Foot fetish website. And what, was, and what did you say? That was the first website you built? No, that was the... Oh, the, the most lucrative. Or, the most lucrative. That's I it. mean, let's say based on hourly rate. Yeah. The foot fetish website. I mean, I mean, 
Which country did the foot fetish website come from? Uh, it was from the UK, so the client was <laughs> international. Right. Did you design like the logo or the website? What did you? Well, the the logo was just very basic. It was uh, just a name of the website, uh, but the website was. Uh, it had to look kind of fancy, you know, not like uh, the websites at the time. You know, all these porn and fetish websites were kind of looking very cheap and crappy. And so someone wanted to like a like a high end looking yeah. fetish website. Classy. And basically those people have money. So those people are not, <laughs> uh, you know, they when they want something that looks good, they're like, yeah, uh, I will not spare a dime. We want this to be fancy because, of course, they can charge a ton of money for or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you said human-centered brands. That's I mean, that is very human-centered to be fair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Apple tea. So you you've never had any Apple product? No, not iPhone, iPod, iPad, not Mac, nothing, nothing. I mean, the thing is is that 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 is very believable. I I find that there are some people who love Apple and they go after it, but equally there are some people who are like, no, I've done quite well at not having Apple, thanks very much, and I have no intention to use it whatsoever. So that feels plausible. I mean, actually, they all sound plausible. I don't really know what to say. Which one <laughs> isn't? Okay, I don't think you dressed as death on TV. Is that your final answer? Yeah. That is true. Oh. I was, yeah, I actually was on like this good morning show and I took, someone took a photo of me and my friend. So she was dressed in some kind of an elf and I published that on Twitter and Neil Gaiman retweeted my image. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. All right. Then it's the foot fetish website. Yes. That was, oh. the, that was the incorrect one. Yeah. That was so believable. Oh, thank well you, done. because I was so stressed out by this question. I had no idea what to invent. And I was like, OK, this is where we're going to go with. So I'm really glad that it, that I managed to stump you. Yeah. That's <laughs> Oh, I'm pleased, too. That was good. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Well, one thing would be charge more, because uh, usually people are willing to pay more than you ask for. And if you ask for it, you will probably get it. And I think that I left so much money on the table by undercharging. And it's just thinking back, it's it's quite, <laughs> you know, it's quite cringeworthy to just remember that, yeah, you could have asked for more, honey. You really could have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you know, there was something else I meant to ask. There's a, we'll put a link, of course, to Nella's website at beingfreelance.com. And uh, as you say, you like to write. There's a, a really nice blog as well. And one of them, it was something like, I remember reading it a while ago. Like, Was it 38 tips, um, freelancing tips, something like that. It was freelancing tips. And one of them, I remember, was about not working for free for friends or something like that. What, what was your experience of, of being asked to do work by friends? Yeah. Basically, my kind of motto that I try to tell people to kind of how it's supposed to work with is is real friends pay full price nice. because yeah. usually creatives are asked for friends like do me a favor because we're friends and support my business and i'm like hey but why don't you support my business like it should work both ways so you know people are comfortable asking you to support their business but are they supporting your business 
And so that is really how, you know, if you're a good friend to someone that you should be willing to pay for their services and be happy to pay for that because you are supporting your friend. So that's kind of my philosophy on that. Nice. I like that a lot. Nella, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. As ever, with all of our guests, there are links through so that you can find them online, say hello, and check out their websites as well. Uh, there's show notes as well at beingfreelance.com, transcript, highlights, links, all of that at the website. Also there, you'll find the course, how to get started being freelance. You'll find the community so you can come and join freelancers from around the world and since you've got your podcast app out why not search for doing it for the kids that's the other podcast i do all about freelancing when you've got kids in the mix to boot um but for now nella thank you so much i hope you get to enjoy the beach this summer without your laptop (laughs) all all the best being freelance thank you steve i'm looking forward to it How good was Nella? Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, there goes another episode of Being Freelance. Being Freelance is made by me, Steve Folland. I make podcasts and videos for a living. I started this on the side. And uh, if you want to support it, you can do so. You can buy me a coffee, top up my virtual biscuit tin, beingfreelance.com slash coffee. You can also, of course, tell people about it, leave a review. And if you need help with freelancing early on in your career, check out the course based on my experience, but also that of all of my guests over the past six years. Uh, It's called How to Get Started Being Freelance. Details are at the website. And as ever, big thanks to Sophie Livingston at Kickstart Content for her help producing the show notes and getting this episode live onto the internet so that you could enjoy it right i'm done i'm out of here i hope you are well and i'll see you for another one very soon indeed or of course in the being freelance community come and hang out all right you have a great week being freelance